Well, here we are again, our study of the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter five, and I think we probably will move on to chapter six in the next session. Um, let's go ahead and read verses 15 through 23 of Proverbs uh, chapter five. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times, be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray, as always, for the, the children, the young people who may listen to these sessions. Oh, dear God, that they would know you savingly through your son. That, Father, they would know the joy of the Lord and the prosperity of righteousness. Oh, Father, make this young generation against whom so many hard words are spoken, make them, Lord, a light to the nations that the grace given to their fathers would be surpassed uh, in them. Oh God, raise up a people for your son. Raise up these young people and use them, Lord, in every area of life to bear witness to your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the last few sessions, we've been studying the things or the principles that will help us whenever we're um, confronted by temptation, whenever we have an encounter with sin, um, what are the principles that we can apply that may help us to have victory? And the first one, of course, is, is to realize that when we're confronted with temptation or when we see sin approaching, there are two things that ought to be done at first. One is to flee. You're not supposed to stand there and fight or test your endurance. You should flee from these things. But you not just flee from sin, but you run to righteousness. You not just stop practicing sin, but you start practicing the commands of God. Live in obedience and submission to God and, and see the benefits of it. Also, that's not just something that we do uh, when sin appears or temptation appears. But it should be a style of life, a practice that we are constantly, constantly shutting our minds to all that would corrupt and weaken us spiritually and opening our minds to the word of God and to the good things that God has for us. Now, this is not only with regard to um, what we would call the spiritual but it has to do with every aspect of life, especially relationships. Um, how best to avoid the adulteress and the adulterer, someone who would disrupt and destroy our families, 
that would take the father away or the mother away? How the best, what's the best way to avoid that? Well, by cultivating good relationships within the family. How's the best way to overcome temptation? Also cultivating a relationship with God. So that's the first principle. The second principle, whenever we're confronted by sin, is that we realize that God sees everything. That we're not hiding. That he literally sees and knows everything perfectly. And that God does judge. He will judge the wicked that are outside of Christ, but he will also discipline his own children. Your sin will find you out. God is merciful. Oh, is he so merciful? As a matter of fact, the pain of the preacher is that we can't even comprehend his mercy. And what we share is, is, is so pitiful compared to what his mercy actually is. It is great, but we should not presume upon it. We should never presume upon it. So now we're at the third principle. We overcome sin by remembering just how, how dangerous it is, how damaging it is, and that sometimes it has irreversible consequences. Now, if you look in verses uh, 16 and 17, <clears throat> should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Now, this passage is difficult, but I believe it should be interpreted in light of verse nine. Or will you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard earned goods will go to the house of an alien and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And, and the idea here is that sin always brings loss. It always brings loss, the, the loss of of opportunity, the loss of joy, the loss of relationships. It just destroys and takes away. Or we could say, using the words of John or Jesus in, in the book of John, it steals, kills and destroys. There will always be loss. You know, God desires that, that, that we prosper. Now, when I say prosper, I'm not talking about those silly TV evangelists, but he desires that our life be spiritually healthy and whole and that there be an abundance of, of joy and, and good works and an abundance of relationships. He says, even in persecution, those who have lost uh, mother and father and sister and brother and so on and so forth will gain even more because of the family of God. God has so much good for us. And the fact is, to give ourselves over to sin just brings loss. Do you, do you realize that there are some people who will, well, they will reject Christ no matter how many times uh, they hear the gospel. And they'll not only suffer loss in this life, but eternal loss and eternal destruction. So when you think about sin, in the end, at first it may seem like, like you're, you're gaining a lot. But in the end, you will lose even that which you've gained and more. And, and like in verse 11, you will groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. I've seen this in, in my years of ministry, of pleading with people, 
not to do certain things, you know. Uh, don't break up your family. Don't leave your wife. Don't, uh, don't, don't follow in this path anymore. It's destructive. It's sinful. It's clearly contrary to the word of God. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Only for them to do it. And, and, and sometimes they come back and they say, you know, Pastor, uh, Brother Paul, g- g- fix it. How can I fix it? And do you know that there's some things that can't be fixed? There is no person who cannot be saved, but there are consequences. There, there is no person who cannot be pardoned, but there are consequences to sin. There, there, there truly are. Someone could get, uh, you know, uh, I've known of men who spent their life in drunkenness and then become a Christian, genuine Christian, child of God, beautiful transformation, but they died early because of all their drinking. Do you see? There are consequences. Sin always brings loss. Righteousness brings abundance. It brings abundance. Oh, young people, listen to me. I wish that I could line up sometimes everybody in hell and have them give a testimony. I wish I could line up so many uh, drug addicts and alcoholics or, or people who... Uh, broke up their own families, committing adultery and, and their life just leading from one down step to another down step to another step down to to loss. I wish I could bring them all in here and have them talk to you and, and plead with you. Don't do this. Don't do what I did because it just resulted in loss. So the first thing when we come to sin, realize this is no good. Remember what we talked about? This is not God's perfect gift for me. This is a counterfeit that may look beautiful. And the marvelous thing about it is it comes at the time I want it to. And I don't have to wait. But in the end, it's rot. And if you take it in, you may think at first it satisfies you. But when it reaches your gut, rot. Now. So we suffer loss. Now, another thing is in verse 22. Look what it says. His own iniquity will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Not only do we suffer loss, there's a sense in which we are captured, that we are captured. In Psalm 715, there's a a powerful illustration to this. It says, he, that is the wicked, has dug a pit and hollowed it out. And has fallen into the hole which he made. Remember the principle? You, you sow to the flesh, you will reap fleshly things, deadly things. And so here, you know, the wicked digs a pit. He falls in it. Okay? And here you're captured by your own sin. It says, his own iniquities will capture the wicked. Now the emphasis here is his own. You see, it. it Let let me share something with you. There are so many people who will commit sins knowingly against God, against his commands. And then when everything goes south, when they're suffering and when they're lost, they, they look for somebody to blame. They may blame others. They may blame God. They may blame the devil. But the fact of the matter is, according to verse 22, his own sins, his own iniquities have captured him. So it's kind of like this. Uh, 
So let's say that this is sin. And someone says, you know, the Bible says don't even draw near. But someone says, oh, I can draw near, but I won't draw too close. But in the end, what happens? You start drawing closer and closer and closer. Until what happens? You're there. And then you go, well, you know, I can touch it like like this. And uh, nothing's going to. Nothing's going to go south. Nothing's going to be bad. I'm just touching it. And then you can go, well, I'm just holding on to it. I'm holding on to it. That's not bad because I can let go at any time. And then you're holding on to it. And you know what happens? It holds back. And you can't let go. Even when you try, you can't let go because it won't let go of you. How many? I mean, I, I remember in Peru, we had a, a rehabilitation center out in this desert, and it was a pretty rough place. Um, how many people were captured by what we call pasta? It's, it, was, it was like cocaine, or like, like crack. And, and their lives just destroyed. They, they destroyed their marriage. They destroyed their relationship with their parents. They destroyed their relationship with their children. And they wanted to let go of it, but it had such a hold. And the only way they could break free was the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel. But never, never doubt this. The sin you draw near to will one day have you standing beside it. When you stand beside that sin, it'll have you touching it. And when you touch it, it'll have you eventually holding on. And then when you want to let go, you can't because it's holding on to you. I, I think it may have been C.S. Lewis who, who gives an illustration of, of here's a man and he has a sin. It's a little sin and he has a chain and he's got that little sin chain. That little sin is captured. But as time goes on. The sin grows. There's still a chain. So he's leading the sin. He's using it when he wants. But little by little, the sin grows. And the man's power diminishes. And now who's on the chain? The man is on the chain. And the sin is in control. You say, Brother Paul, <laughs> you're trying to scare us. Yes, I am. I really am. I wish when I was younger, before I became a Christian, someone had scared me. There's some things from which uh, about which you should be afraid. And of all of them, it's sin. OK, so you, you suffer loss, you're captured. And then look in verse 22 also. And he will be held with the cords of his sin. He'll be tied up. Tied up. You know, I'm kind of uh, claustrophobic and uh, I mean, I don't mind somebody tackling me, but after they tackle me and then a bunch of guys jump on top of you, man, it's just a horrible feeling. There is nothing, absolutely nothing you can do. Now, imagine that sin has not just captured you and put you in a cage, but it's like a cord or a snake just going around you and going around you until now you can't even move. There's nothing you can do. You can't even move anything. <laughs> I'll tell you a story uh, just so you won't be bored. 
um, I knew this guy about three hours out of Iquitos in the jungle on the Amazon, and he would catch big snakes. Well, one day one of his snakes got loose, uh, and he would catch the anacondas. And uh, um, so I went with him to try to find it. We were out in this one grassy plain there below this knoll, below this hill, and, and I saw him. He was, I don't know, I, I'd hate to say, he was somewhere between, I don't know, 12 and 14 feet or something. He was a big snake. And uh, I thought, I can grab him. If that little guy can grab him, I can grab him. Uh, I grabbed him, and uh, he grabbed me back. And at first I was like, okay, you know, I got this. And then I realized I'm hurting. This thing is around my waist and I am hurting. It grabbed me, it tied me up. I mean, that thing was stronger than I could have ever imagined. All right, now imagine that you're all tied up and there's nothing that you can do. You can't even move a finger. So in Psalms 40, 12, it says, for evils beyond number have surrounded me. Now think about this. They've surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. They've gone over his head. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head and my heart has failed me. So this is what sin does. And, and you think, oh, that's an exaggeration. No, I've met men like this. I can tell you how many times I've gone after men like this and they've, they've been there in an old hotel room or they're, they're in some dump where they're taking drugs and things like that and they're just sitting there in the dark with their head in their hands just mourning, groaning over how their entire life's destroyed and some of it will never be rebuilt. This is not an exaggeration. Please, this is not poetry. This is real. There's something far worse than that snake I was talking about. It's sin. And it will wrap you up. Now, look at verse 23. He will die for lack of instruction. He will die. Now, I want you to think about this. Sin. You're walking along, you give yourself to sin. And then it captures you. And you can't get free. Then it wraps you up. Your arms, everything. You're just you're immobile. You can't move. And then you see this thing coming toward you. To do what? To drag you off into death. To drag you off into death. I know it's a horrible picture. But it's true. And, and you know, how many uh, guys that... I've seen in prison or seen in, in all kinds of horrible places. They started out, they were, you know, little boys playing with toys, little girls with ribbons in their hair. But eventually they become monsters. And then from there, destroyed and they weep and they groan and there's nothing they can do. So if you're going to run from something, run from sin, run from it. Don't let it get near you. It says we are killed. Now, I want you to see something here. We die for lack of instruction. Self-imposed ignorance. Do you see that? Remember, 
what we talk about all the time. You know, it's incline your ear to me. Listen to me. Hear me. Obey me. That's the wise and godly parent trying to give instruction in the word of God to their child. Listen. But look over just for a moment. Um, Look over in Proverbs where we started. Proverbs chapter one. Just look what it says. Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They could have. They could have taken the knowledge. They could have responded correctly, but they hated it. Why did they hate it? Because it disagreed with them. They wanted to do something else and they thought they were wiser. They hated it. And and you may have said this before. I don't need to listen to my parents. The world will tell you that. I don't need to listen to my parents. I don't need anybody to tell me anything. Live and learn. No, live and learn is not a good idea. A good idea is learn and live. Verse 30. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. You want to do this? Well, it's your bed. You're going to have to make it. You reap what you sow. And this is a self-imposed ignorance. And I I like to look at it this way. It is an imbecilic disregard for God's will. Imbecilic, irrational. Um, So let's just look at how irrational it is, okay? So we have God. He loves you like no other. He's faithful like no other. He knows absolutely everything. He wants the best for you. And everything he tells you is true. But you don't want to listen. I don't remember who it was, but it wasn't me. A wise man once said, um, it may have been Sinclair Ferguson, I don't, I think, maybe, um, said, um, why do men hate God's will? Because it's not theirs. Why do men hate God's will? Because it's not theirs. It goes against their evil desires. Those evil desires will kill you. And it's imbecilic. For you not to follow me, that's not necessarily imbecilic. It could be pretty rational. I mean, I would hope that I would live a life that would be an example, but you do not want to follow men lock, stock, and barrel because we're all, you know, fallible, very fallible. But to not follow Christ, that's imbecilic. That's that's ridiculous. It's irrational. That's why uh, Paul says um, in Romans 12, 1 and 2 about giving your life away. That is your it's a spiritual uh, act of worship. It, it can also mean it's rational. It's the most rational thing you could ever do. The most irrational thing you could ever do is follow a man, a preacher or anyone without question. Or give your life away for some Bible teacher. That's that's insane. But but give your life away to Christ is the most rational thing you can do. Now, it says here and in verse 23, the last part, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Now, when we think about folly, you know, the follies, (laughs) when we think about folly, uh, people laugh and think it's something funny. Actually, it's not laughable at all in the Bible. 
It's deadly. It's a foolish person um, um, that just maybe they're conceited. There's nothing make you more foolish than self-conceit. Um, just just a, a person who has a flagrant disregard for God and a flagrant disregard for God's will. Uh, maybe they just want it. It disagrees with them, so they don't want it or they think they're wiser than God. But let's just look for a moment about about folly. Let's let's think. First of all, I, I'm pulling verses from all over Scripture on this. First of all, our folly is not hidden from God. We've already learned that God is omniscient. But in Psalm 69, 5, oh, God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. My, my stupidity, my, my foolishness for knowing your will and not doing it. It's folly. And uh, it's not hidden from God. He sees it. And part of what God does in love to the child of God is do all kinds of disciplinary measures so that we lay aside our folly. We lay it aside and the quicker, the better. Also, folly, which some people think is entertainment, maybe even cute. It's repulsive when it's folly with regard to God and his word. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 38, 5, my wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I, don't, I have uh, in the jungle and different places where people couldn't get medical attention. I've seen practically people's arms like they were rotting off and they stunk. There was nothing laughable about it. And that's what sin does, but also the sin of folly. Uh, imagine this world like a bunch of silly clowns all marching in an order, beating on a drum and marching off a cliff. That's basically folly. Now, it's repulsive. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. And then it says like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. When he talks about returning to a vomit, he's talking about a dog returning to vomit to eat it. When a fool commits folly and it causes him harm or makes him look repulsive, then he goes right back and does it again. And, and there's nothing wrong. There's a degree into which all of us do this. I mean, we return to sin and we need to recognize this folly is, is repulsive and it's, it's dangerous. But also our folly is dangerous to others. A person who has no regard for God's will and just does anything he wants and follows his emotions and everything, that's not harmless. It's dangerous to others. How dangerous? Well, have you ever been bear hunting? The worst thing you can possibly do is get in a situation where you're between a mother bear and her cubs. And look what Proverbs 17, 12 says. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Yeah, yeah. You get up close with a bear, it can be pretty scary. At least it gets your adrenaline going. But a bear that's been robbed of her cubs, no, you do not want to go down that road. And yet a fool is more dangerous. Why? Because that fool can influence you. Young person, listen to me. 
you see somebody that's that's just foolish. I mean, they just a total disregard for God. They may be very popular. They may have a great personality and everything, but they do not think of God. They do not think of God's commands. They don't think of the meaning of life, purpose or anything. That's not harmless. Get away from them. Get around people who are thinking about, wow, you know, I'm created in the image of God. I have fallen, but Jesus has died. I am a believer. I'm on my way to Zion. Eternity matters. What I do in this life is important. There is great glory to be gained and great loss to be suffered. I need to live my life in a way that matters. So be careful of a person. They're dangerous. Now, lastly, of a person of folly. Lastly, our folly is difficult to extract. Uh, you don't want folly to take root because it's hard to get rid of it. Uh, right now, I've got some vines at my house that literally I've been in battle with for a while. Once they take root around a tree, they can kill that tree and they're hard to get rid of. So it says in Proverbs 27, 22, though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. I've been in places in the world where they have a, a big rock that's kind of dug out like this, or a big, thick wooden bowl. And then someone, usually a woman, puts, puts grain in that bowl. And then she has not just some little thing she holds in her hand, but something that may be, you know, a meter and a half long, four feet long and and maybe this big around at the end and super heavy and she'll lift it up and pound that grain. It's saying, you know, you, you can do that to a fool and it, it's almost impossible to drive out his, his foolishness. And we've seen that. You know, I, I've seen people commit sins that the moment they commit them brought them great harm only to return and do it again and again and again. And then they wonder why. You know, they say that one of the greatest definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting to get different results. Well, it doesn't take a, a you know, a, a genius to discover. If you keep committing this sin and it keeps bringing you harm, that you need to stop. But it's difficult. We must rely upon the power of God. And how, how is that power manifested? Through the means of grace. And what do I mean? Through, I'm sorry, I always go back to this donut because it's true. Meditating upon the word. Prayer. But also the fellowship of other believers. When you find yourself in, in, with your parents or, or with, with a pastor, with someone that's, that's trustworthy, you, you find yourself trapped in a foolishness, go to them and say, help me, uh, pray for me, counsel me. You know, I'm I'm an old guy and I, I still go and talk to people and I, I say, counsel me in this matter, help help me. Or I go listen to Bible teachers or I, I read books. Why? 
Because I need just as much help as anyone else. Even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter one, when he goes, he writes to the Romans and he says, I want to come there and be with you so that we can be mutually edified. Even the great Apostle Paul needed others. And so do you. and So do I. All right. Well, we've finished chapter five and we're going to go on now to chapter six. And it's going to talk about parental counsel. And uh, please. As you go through your day, please have great thoughts of Christ. Make sure that you're studying scripture. If you don't know how, talk to your pastor, talk to your parents. Um, but I would encourage you just to get a really good study Bible and just read the Bible. If you've never read through the New Testament, read through the New Testament first and then read through the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. And after you're done, do it one million times more and uh, you will see the impact it has on your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, dear God, please. Whoever hears this sermon, may they know you. May they know your son savingly and may they grow and, and prosper in the will of God. I ask all this in Jesus' name.